It's good to be with you. I bring greetings from all of us Southies over to you. They are much hotter today. If you didn't know, at South Osborne, we actually don't have air conditioning there. And as I was driving here at about 8.30 this morning, when it was already hot and already sticky, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> My family's here too. It'll probably be the one summer out of the, one Sunday out of the, the summertime that, uh, that we get to stay a bit cool on a Sunday morning. We actually shifted our service times to 10 o'clock as well to try and beat the heat a little bit. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, why don't you turn in them, uh, whether you got it on a device or it'll come up on the screen too, but turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We'll get there in a little bit. I want to see what your reaction is to a particular word, just to kind of get a gauge of where you're at this morning. All right, you ready? Theology! Oh, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you hear the word theology uh, and you're already bored, uh, then my apologies on behalf of any of the teachers, preachers, and professors that have conditioned you to have that response. Uh, hopefully, I'm not just another one of those on the list of people that do that to you this morning. This morning, I want to take you through some foundational theology, theology about God that will help us all understand something incredibly profound. Our preaching series this summer is called Knowing God. Too often we think about this as a process that is stuck in a book or in school or in a seminary or a Bible college somewhere or something that we just do with our mind, but it's not. Knowing God is actually something that is intensely personal And we're actually meant to experience it, and we're meant to pursue this with all of ourselves, our bodies, five senses, our mind, our emotions, our spirit, every part of us. And in the last couple of weeks, uh, Peter Todd preached on what it means to know God as Father, and, and to actually be part of a family that pursues his presence, that is desperate for his presence. Uh, Ken Peters, he just preached last week about knowing the mystery of God's will and how Jesus is meant to be at the very center of all those things, of all of God's plans, which means that Jesus is meant to be the very center of our lives. Jesus actually meant, meant for us to actually orient our entire lives in him as he wraps himself around us. Each one of the areas that we're actually preaching on this summer expands not only of our understanding of who God is, but each area should actually help us to understand why it actually matters to us and how we should actually live as a result of knowing that. And so today, I don't have a point one, two, three. I just have a part one and a part two. In part one, I want to share a foundational truth about God, but each of us should know that in that foundational truth, we find ourselves as followers of Jesus. It's this relationship that we have between our Heavenly Father and Jesus and us. The foundational truth specifically today has to do with the Father and the Son, And it's really important for us to know and to understand. Part two is, well, how does this affect my life today? What does this mean for me? 
So here's the truth in the title of the message today. The father delights in his son. The father loves his son. That's the truth. The father loves his son. So part one, really important for us to know. So let's focus that truth statement behind me a little bit more. Not only does the father love his son, but the father takes great pleasure and delight in his son. And we see that pleasure expressed by God out loud in two key ways in the New Testament, two times as the father actually shares his heart with the people that are standing around Jesus. We've been singing about the father's love all morning, haven't we? We've been enjoying that and the truths that come through knowing the father's love. And as Jesus comes up out of the water in his baptism at the Jordan River, it says in Matthew three seventeen, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The second time we hear God speak like this is on a mountain with Jesus and a few of his disciples. Jesus is transformed and transfigured before their very eyes. They get to see a glimpse, a glimpse of his glory, his true identity. Jesus is is glowing with glory. They're enveloped in this thick cloud as God the Father speaks once again to reaffirm who Jesus is. He says, and it says, a voice from the cloud said in Matthew 17, Again, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he adds, listen to him. The disciples, they're awestruck. I mean, Peter can't keep talking. (laughs) Peter just has to keep on talking. He doesn't quite know where he's at in that moment, but that's not really important right now. They're still awestruck. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the very son of God. But they also knew two things, that the father loves his son, and the father takes great pleasure in his son. Here's what that pleasure means in the context of the father's heart. It means to delight in, to cherish, to admire, wow, you're amazing. What you've done, I, I, it's amazing. I, I, the, who you are, it's, just, it's that admiration. To hold up like a prize. Don't quite think of like the Lion King, you know, like that. But, but you know, with Simba kind of over top of everybody and all the animals going crazy. But more like, you know, in church, when somebody comes with a ba- brand new baby and we say, come on. Come on, stand up and show everybody. And they go, here's our, here's our son or our daughter. They hold them like a prize, like something that is precious to them, something that belongs to them. It also means to enjoy and to relish. Now, as a father myself, I can identify with a number of those ways of loving my own kids, my own daughters. Although I will be quick to point out that I do that very imperfectly. But you might have heard this word relish come out of my mouth. It's a strange one. 
It's, it's not a word that we usually use in our modern English other than to express something that we put on our hot dog or our hamburger, right? <laughs> but to help you understand the feeling behind what it means to actually relish something, think about a toddler sitting in a high chair on their birthday and you give them their piece of cake, right? <laughs> they don't even bother with the fork. Right? They just dig right in, their hands in, everything. They're enjoying the taste. They're enjoying getting it all over them, the feel, the entire experience of having this cake. It becomes their entire world for that moment in time. And adults, I know there are foodies out here who feel exactly the same way when you're eating as well. But by the time they're done, you actually need to give them a bath. You need to take the pressure washer to the high chair outside to get everything out of the nooks and crannies, right? They have absolutely relished eating that cake. That sense of enjoyment and pleasure is one of the ways that the father loves his son. He absolutely enjoys everything about his son and loves being with him. But just so that we're on the same page this morning, we also need to affirm something that's really important. See, Jesus isn't just a human being that was a good person that God loved. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is also fully God. Just so there's no confusion about this truth, we come to Colossians, where I had you put your finger in the Bible in chapter 1 or on your device. We're going to read starting at verse 15. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. God didn't look around on earth to find a human being to make his son so that he could delight and love and take pleasure in him. The son was already loved, already part of the Godhead. Jesus was sent to earth and became fully God and fully man at the same time. The incarnation, we call it. Jesus is God himself. And that's why in verse 19 of what we just read, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's through Jesus that we see our Heavenly Father. The first verse we read says he's the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in Philippians, it talks about him divesting himself. It says, though he was in the form of God, 
He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So when the father looks at his son, what does he see and take delight in? Well, he sees a son who reflects his own glory, his image, the one with whom he is total equal. Do you think that might be why in John 1.1 we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. See, as long as there has been God, there has been the word of God who is the son of God, Jesus, who took on a human nature in Jesus Christ. I hope you've been able to follow this so far. I hope you're with me. So when our heavenly father sees his son and delights in him, he's actually delighting in himself. What? Wait, wait a second, Aaron. What? God delighting in himself. <laughs> At first, that sounds extremely crazy, but it also sounds extremely conceited, doesn't it? You know, if you and I look in the mirror and say, wow, you're, you're pretty amazing. You know, <laughs> I love you so much. You're, you're amazing, right? <laughs> what happens, right? People would think, the, the guy's a self-absorbed jerk, But when the God of the universe does it to himself, he is the one being in the entire world who can actually look at himself this way and all those statements are totally and utterly true. Are you following me? Otherwise, why would we worship him? He's worthy of our worship. Let's look at this same idea just from a different perspective. Who are you and I meant to discover that will lead us to true peace, joy, love, and satisfaction in all of our life? Jesus, right? Then who should Jesus be looking at to receive those same things? Well, the Father. Or in essence, himself, right? Because he's the center, he's the source, he's the foundation of all things. For God to find any satisfaction outside of himself means that he would actually cease to be the sovereign Lord and maker of all things. For him to be completely righteous, completely holy, He can only find complete satisfaction in himself, in the company of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And this is where we need to shift to part two. Why do we need to know this? Why should this mind-bending theology that Aaron's been leading us through this morning matter to me? Well, if God is totally into himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, and would be able to exist as themselves, as one God together for eternity, and still be totally complete, needing nothing else. Why on earth 
would we as sinful human beings ever be given a second glance after we threw away our inheritance in the Garden of Eden? Why would he even give us a second glance? And here's the answer. The infinite love of the Father that he has for his Son is the very reason which makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be loved and accepted in Christ Jesus the Son. It's the foundation. But how? So here's the good news of the gospel in 30 seconds or less. The Bible reveals God's plan to reconcile a rebellious people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, was crucified on a cross, died, was buried, and rose again three days later from the dead. And I believe if we confess, because the Bible tells us, if we confess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and repent of our sins, we will receive forgiveness. We will avoid the punishment of our sin and enjoy eternal life with God. I believe that this is the only truth that has ever really truly mattered to every human being on the planet since Jesus paved the way for our salvation. And if you have never invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. You don't need to wait another day. That's the gospel. It's the good news. When we receive that tremendous gift of salvation through a simple prayer of faith and place our hope in Jesus Christ, there are a number of things. There's over 25 things that happen to us instantaneously. But there's one thing that I want to highlight today. The Bible tells us that we are now hidden in Christ. Colossians 3.3 tells us that our old life has died, that we've been raised with Jesus to a new life. And your life, it says in verse 3, is now hidden with Christ in God. The Bible also affirms that you and I, we've got no righteousness of our own that would ever help us to be accepted by our Heavenly Father. However, we are told that when we receive Jesus into our lives, his perfect righteousness, the righteousness that paid for our sin and and conquered death, the, the same righteousness becomes ours. See, for you and I, without Jesus, we have no way to live a life other than being out in the open before God and exposed in our sin. But Christ's righteousness actually hides us. He hides us in himself, like a cloak wrapped around us. We are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Jesus gives his righteousness to us, and we are welcomed into God's family, clothed with Christ. Even after we've accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior. You and I both know that stuff still happens, doesn't it? We do things that move us in the opposite direction of what Jesus has asked us to do and how to live. We don't suddenly become perfect people that no longer sin and do stuff. 
right? And that sin, well, it's not magically now okay in God's books. So when our Heavenly Father sees you, when he sees us, what does he see? Let me pause here to say, the answer to this question is one of the most vital truths you will ever hold on to as a follower of Christ. The devil will try and make you forget it. He will try and work overtime to make sure that you stop believing it because there is so much power and freedom that is released as you live out this truth in your life. So when the Heavenly Father looks at you, what does he see? And I suppose I should change this to say, who does he see? Do you know that he doesn't see you first? (laughs) I'm so grateful. He sees Jesus. He sees his son whom he loves and with whom he's well pleased. This is now the part where you're so glad that I took the time to share with you part one. (laughs) How much the father loves his son. It's where the two things come together. To repeat what I said a little while ago, the infinite love the father has for his son is the reason that makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be loved and accepted in Christ Jesus the Son. The Father sees you and I through Jesus. Wow. When the Father sees his Son, he's well pleased. Jesus, in turn, he says to his Father, see, these are the ones, these are the ones that you've given me. They're found in me through my death and my resurrection. And the Father on the throne nods in acceptance. And that same infinite love that the Father has for his Son, it then flows from Christ to you. Oh man, this is so important for us to know. It's mind-blowing. It's not something you've earned It is positionally yours. It's just yours. It's a gift. Meaning that no matter where you are, what you've done since, or what you're doing right now, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this gift has been given to you for all eternity. And now for for this, (coughs) excuse me, I need the help of two people. I'm going to actually pick on a couple people today. They don't know that I'm going to pick on them. Uh, let's see here. I'm... Kim, you can help me out. I need you because you have a beard. Come on, come on up. Come on up. Uh, and let's see here. Oh, right in the, in the front row. Hey, Ziggy, you're smiling at me, so you caught my attention. Come on up. <laughs> Why don't you just come up right up here? Right up here. So I'm going to be... I'm going to just portray the Father. Kim, because you have a beard today, you get to portray Jesus. There we go. (laughs) And Zig, how about you come over here and you get to represent all of us. No pressure. Can I be Jesus? (laughs) Well, you need to get the beard out just a little bit more today. Yeah. (laughs) So here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to give you some quick instructions. Okay. Kim, you come stand right here. It's right there. And face me. Face me. 
Now you, get behind him. Yep, exactly. And no matter where I look, you and you, make sure that Ziggy's always behind you. Right? So, so if, if you go this, if I go this way, you, you go, huh? stay behind Kim. Your, your job is to always be behind Kim so I can't see you. Okay? Right? No matter which way the father's looking, I'm looking at the son. I'm looking at this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so this is, I just wanted to illustrate this in a, in a practical sense. So when you want to talk with God, when you want to pray, did you know that as a follower of Christ, you can walk right into the very presence of God with Jesus and you know what happens? Stand there, there we go. The father sees his son. And he goes, I love you. And you say, you don't have to say this. The son says, Ziggy's with me. He'd like to talk with you. And the father goes, oh yeah. I want to talk with him. Right? But it's still through, right? Now, here's another way, another vantage point, another way to look at this. When the devil wants to point his accusing finger at you, right? He wants to, he wants to, to accuse you for something. See what you did? You did it again. God's never going to look at you the same way. You should feel ashamed of yourself. You think you can go into God's presence like that? Well, you can say, <laughs> yeah, okay, different God, father hat back on, father hat back on. You can say, it's not my righteousness that I use to approach the Father. I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and that will never change. I might need to repent and receive forgiveness for my own actions, my responsibility before God. But devil, I will never again need to worry about being separated from my heavenly father who loves me with an everlasting love and sees me through his son. Right? And the last thing, when the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts you of sin, when the Holy Spirit does that, it actually draws us towards the Lord. The devil pushes us away. When you're feeling sheepish, about approaching that throne of grace for the hundredth time for that same issue that you've been struggling with. The Father sees you through the Son. And you have welcome. And he draws you closer as you deal with your stuff. And he loves you. Thanks, guys. Give him a hand. Father pours out his grace. He pours out his love, drawing you closer and closer back into himself. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves us. We've been singing about that all morning. We're hidden in him. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide means to dwell with, to make your home in, 
be hidden in that love. But it doesn't stop there, does it? The cycle is actually meant to continue and spread to others who don't know this kind of love yet. It's part of our mission. Love from the Father to the Son, the Son to us. It's actually meant to flow from us now to the people that are around us. We're not meant to be just reservoirs. We're not meant to be just only a people who sit and soak in the presence of God. We're also meant to be sent ones, ones that go and share the love that we've received, that intimacy and that presence that we've experienced with others as well. Others need to know that love. Their very lives depend on it. So this summer, Ken talked about sitting on your chair in the summer or being on a beach. Maybe you're helping at a barbecue. Maybe you're helping to kick a soccer ball and teach some young people how to play soccer or get better at it and introduce them to Jesus. Will you be one of the people that introduces them to Jesus? Will you be one of the people that extends and shares with them the Father's love? See, we get to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in partnership with us to keep pointing people always to Jesus. And then as we receive Jesus, the the curtains are rolled back and we see the Father. It's amazing. You know, you may be wounded. You may not know how to receive or to get your head around this kind of love because of what you've experienced in your lifetime. Can I encourage you, for any of us who are followers of Jesus, no matter how broken and wounded we are or feel, it doesn't change the fact that the Father and Son have made a way for you to experience His love. It's there. It's there. Keep pursuing Jesus. Even when that love seems to elude you, seems to go, fall through your fingers like sand, you just can't get a hold of it. God wants to reveal himself to you. And he will help you to receive him too. I just want to close with this. Never forget who you are as a child of God. Never forget how your heavenly father sees you. He sees you and he loves you through his son with an intimate, eternal love that will never fail. Never. You can always stand before the Lord with confidence because you are fearfully, wonderfully made, but you are also wonderfully and lovingly hidden in Christ. Amen.